last uh, membership class, there were 15, 16 folk who are considering membership with us as a church right now, which is a, a great joy. Uh, one of the delightful things about this particular group is about a third of them have become Christians in the last year, and uh, most of those from non-Christian backgrounds. And so it's just a, it's just a joy to see that. Um, and often one of the question, questions that a, a, non, a new Christian is asking is, well, how should I now live as a Christian? And it's something that um, becomes a, a fresh question for children who've grown up in a Christian home as they head off to university. Suddenly, they're on their own. How should I live as a Christian? Because really, as we head out into the world, we realize that the values and expectations of our British society can make us feel as Christians like aliens and strangers in this world. I think about my, the time I uh, left Wales and went to study dentistry in London. And that first year in that halls of, student halls of residence was a complete eye-opener for me. I think my uh, student residence block could have technically been called a brothel. And I was uh, quite often having to turn my stereo up quite loud just to uh, drown out sounds that weren't very helpful for me as I was trying to study. Uh, on a Saturday morning and a Sunday morning, you couldn't walk barefoot to the communal bathroom because the floor was sticky with beer and vomit. Uh, quite often, uh, the communal um, halls uh, in those days where there wasn't a ban on smoking was, a, was a, a haze of blue as people were smoking pot. And I'm not really explaining the fullness of what was really on offer there. It was quite an eye-opener for a sort of naive young guy from a Christian sheltered background. And of course, go into, uh, come into the city center on a Friday night, on any sort of uh, Saturday night, Friday night, and you'll discover it's not just students who want to sort of live that way. Uh, it's a challenge too for people involved in business, people in sales who travel around a lot, who spend a lot of time going to conventions, other places, staying in hotel rooms, when you can be surrounded by colleagues who have a very definite expectation of what a good night looks like. And it can often mean a lot of drinking, going to some pretty risque shows, maybe strip clubs, casinos, and the like. Well, how should the gospel of Jesus Christ affect how we respond to situations like that? What does the Bible have to say to us? Well, please open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. And you'll find that on page 1,220 in the church Bibles, page 1,220, 1 Peter chapter 4. Let's read these uh, first six verses. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you've spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, 
living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. This is God's word. Well, I'll keep this open. There's three big um, points here, I think, that are here to shape our lives. And uh, the first one's in the first two verses. Let's look at those again. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. Well, what are these verses teaching us? Well, let's be clear what this is not teaching first. Um, It is not teaching that causing yourself physical pain is a way of avoiding sin. Um, There are some Catholic groups like Opus Dei that encourage people to wear uh, metal chains with spikes that dig into your flesh as a way of sort of killing off sin and temptation. Now, there have been people within church history even who've, uh, who've believed that if you started whipping yourself enough, it would kind of fight off evil and wicked thoughts. And I want to say that there's nowhere in the Bible that teaches that. And certainly these verses do not teach that. Uh, the cause of sin in our Uh, in our bodies is not our bodies but our sinful nature that chooses to do sinful things with our bodies it's not this flesh and blood thing that God has given us that's the problem it's our own hearts and our own sinful inclinations that want to do sinful things with these physical bodies that's the issue and so uh, harming yourself is futile dangerous and uh, does nothing The NIV uh, Bible translation translates the same word in verse 1 and 2 differently. But uh, in verse 1, it uses the word body. In verse 2, it uses the phrase uh, earthly life. And actually, probably that's a better way of translating it. If you put that back in verse 1, since Christ suffered in his earthly life, arm yourself with the same attitude. It wasn't so much the physical afflictions of Christ in his own body, but that he suffered in his earthly life. And since he did that, arm yourself with the same attitude. That's what Peter's saying. I want you to see that it doesn't mean, another thing, it doesn't mean that we should be looking for ways to suffer in order to bring some purifying impact on our lives. There's plenty of people who actually have suffered and that's actually driven them away from God. It's hardened them. Thirdly, it doesn't teach us some secret way that we're going to achieve sinless perfection in this life. As much as we'd long to be in that state where we just never think of sinning and being free of that, this verse is not teaching that. There's no sort of special route to sinless perfection. It would go against what we read elsewhere in 1 John 1 verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So it doesn't say that. So what does it mean? Well, this is what I want to suggest to you that it means. Here's the first point. 
resolve to suffer rather than sin. That's what Peter is saying. Resolve to suffer rather than sin. You know, this whole letter is addressed to Christians who are beginning to suffer for being Christians uh, because of their faith. And it's critical, Peter says, that before the point of challenge comes to us, that we resolve, that we make a decision between, uh, that, that when we come to that point of deciding between either a sinful activity or obeying God, even if obedience means suffering, that we're going to choose the pathway of obedience and suffering. Do you get that? He's saying that we may need to make a decision now, today, before that point of challenge comes, maybe this week, maybe, maybe in a, a, a month's time, maybe in a year's time, who knows, or several years' time, there's a, we make a resolution now that should a point come of decision, where actually I've got a decision, shall I go this way and, 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 uh, and sin? Or shall I go God's way, even though going God's way is going to mean suffering, that I determine today that when that decision comes, I will choose the pathway of obedience and yes, even if that means suffering. That's what he's saying. Arm yourself. Do you see that? Arm yourself with the same attitude. Um, you know what an armory is? Uh, if you, before you go for a fight in the good old days of swords and arrows, you would put on uh, metal plating so a sword chop wasn't going to kill you. Uh, you would protect yourself and you you put that on in advance of the battle. Well, you can be protected uh, now before the heat of the battle. And it is arming yourself with this resolution that I'm going to choose the path of obedience, even if that means suffering rather than sin. Now, the question is, have we made that resolution? If you're a Christian here today, have you so resolved it in your mind? And... and my point today is merely to challenge you that you ought to make that resolution. Do so today. Be clear. Um, you will win or lose that battle of temptation. Not so much at that point of the heat of the temptation, but whether you've resolved it before you've got there. That's the point. And notice here, it's not just about stoic or heroic self-denial. It's actually about a Christ-centered, God-glorifying commitment. Uh, therefore, since Christ suffered in his earthly life, arm yourself also with the same attitude. You see what drives this choice? It's not just, I'm heroically against sin. It is because I know who Christ is. I know how Christ acted. I know how Christ responded. And, and the life of Christ is what shapes my life. That's what he's calling us to do. The real power and motivation for the whole of the Christian life comes in relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. That by his spirit, the life of Christ is lived out and through our lives. And over and over again, Peter is urging us to, to, to consider Christ. Uh, as we sang earlier, look full into his wonderful face. Because only as we do that will we have the motivation, the strength, the clarity of how to act and respond in the moment of heat of temptation. Look full into his face. 
uh, Peter eventually fell asleep. But he'll never forget that night in Gethsemane. He looked at the face of Christ and the face of Christ that had often been so composed, so full of love and compassion was a face that was, was tense and increasingly anxious and fearful and distraught. And he, he, he observed him going off to pray, throwing himself on the ground. He, he heard those, uh, those words of Christ. My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Have you considered the face of Christ? I want to encourage you today to think about the face of Christ in Gethsemane. As you, as you determine, what am I going to do? Am I going to go for the least resistance and choose the way of sin? Or am I going to choose the way of obedience, even if that means suffering? You'll do that by considering the face of Christ. He who resolutely set his face towards Jerusalem. He who, whose face was, was full of tears and brokenness as he cries out to God. My father, is there any other way? Can this cup be taken away from me now what is this cup it is the cup it is a picture of 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 god's anger against sin what jesus is contemplating in the garden is that he is going to drink that cup of god's judgment for sinners and it almost tears him apart as if the ground beneath him opens up and he looks into the abyss of hell. He knows he has to drink deeply. Have you looked at the face of Christ and seen what it took that we would be saved from the judgment of God? See, there's nothing automatic or pain-free about how Jesus made the salvation possible, is there? Nothing automatic. He had to make a real choice. And he chose... I mean, he could have got away. He knew the soldiers were going to come. He could have got away before that. There were many times when Jesus could have evaded this plan of salvation that would have cost him such personal suffering in his obedience. But in prayer, he determined and he stood his ground and he chose the way of obedience to the Father, which meant great suffering. And praise God, he was willing to do that because it's meant our salvation if we're trusting Christ. Now, that's the pattern. Uh, Jesus is the mentor. Jesus is the, is the model here. That's what Peter's been teaching in part, hasn't he? The disciple is one who's following in the footsteps of Jesus. So how, what did Jesus do at the point of where he could have sinned and disobeyed the Father or obeyed when suffering? He chose obedience and suffering. Those are the footsteps that we are called to follow. Have we so resolved that when that point of decision comes, we will not go the way of sin, but we'll go the way of obedience, even if that means suffering? See, there's two ways that we can live here, according to verse 2. The first way is to live to maximize our human desires. Now, you know, that could be a life of full-out hedonistic sex, drugs, and rock and roll, uh, following every hormonal urge or sensory experience going. It could be that. But actually, the, the word evil is not there. It's just for human desires. Living for human pleasure, human desires. It can be much more innocent and sedate and middle-class and middle-aged. It could be just the respectable life of just wanting a quiet life of 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 a warm fire, your slippers on, and reading a good detective book. That's, I just want to be comfortable. I just want to be at rest. I just want to be at ease. 
That's one way. But we live just to satisfy our earthly human desires. That's the most important thing for us. Or there's the other way, which is to live for God's will. As a result, he does not live by the, the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, for human desires, but rather for the will of God. That actually, I, I'm determined that I'm going to do what God wants me to do. What he says, I will do. Where he tells me to go, I will go. That's what we sung. I'm trusting and obeying that we're so determined that we are going to do the will of God, that his kingdom, his righteousness is more important actually than my own physical comfort, my own desire to avoid any pain in my life. And so the question is, which way are we living our lives? Which way are you living your life today? Which are you more committed to? Nice, easy, pain-free life or a life of doing God's will, whatever the cost. Now, as we sang in that hymn, that life of doing God's will, whatever the cost, is not like a, a, an awful life, a despairing life of no hope. We, we sang about uh, the reality of, um, uh, of the joy that he bestows. You know, the life of obedience to, to God is, is a life of joy and delight and uh, and. Uh, it's not this is a grim way, but it's still a way that that's not my main goal is my personal joy. That's a side benefit and reality of my experience of Christ. My main goal is to do his will. Which way are you living your life? Now, if there is within us any desire to do God's will, we just have to say that's a remarkable sign of God's work in our lives, isn't it? Of God's grace. That actually will... That's, that's evidence that we're born again people, that we want to do God's will. And if we want to grow as people who do God's will, then we need to resolve in our minds that we are going to say um, no temptation. We're going to say no to uh, uh, those um, desires that just want me to pursue meeting all my satisfactions, and instead I'm going to choose to do God's will. We need to make that resolution today. Now, let me give you a trivial example. It's utterly trivial, but here we go. I desire to weigh less than I am. It's true. I could probably lose 10 kilograms and it would be fine. Um, But on the other hand, I love kettle crisps. I love kettle crisps. And, And when I have a burger, I love fries. I love fries. Um... Now, the times that I have actually lost weight, I've had to make a firm resolution in my mind that it's better to feel hungry and forgo the fleeting and temporary pleasures of fried and flavored sliced potato. And so when the specific temptation comes um, and I feel those pangs in my stomach and those cravings of my appetite in my mind, having previously resolved that I am going to lose weight, I have the power to fight and be willing to embrace those hunger pangs and uh, enable to live for a, a bigger purpose. Now, that's a trivial example, isn't it? But the truth is that, that that's true of all sorts of our appetites. We have appetites and desires for all sorts of things, don't we? For food, for drink, for sex, for love, for respect, 
for affection, for money, for possessions, for, for comfort, for power, for control? What is it that drives us? What is it that's really motivating us in our lives? Well, I want to teach you from God's word the thing that will, that will help you today when that day of temptation comes is verse 1 and 2. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, look into his face. Arm yourselves also with the same attitude because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. Resolve to suffer rather than to sin. That's my first point. Second point is this. Remember God's judgment. Look at verse 3. For you've spent enough time in the past doing what the pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Uh, I've known men and women uh, who've sat in churches like this, uh, who've professed to be Christians and yet have destroyed their marriages, become alienated from their children, ruined their reputations, had their sordid sinful lives uh, paraded before the law courts and TV news because they've forgotten the gospel. And they've allowed uh, their unrestrained sexual appetite to run riot. And at least in one case, uh, I can think of a lady who ended up taking a life. And so, you know, like decency would say, let's avoid verses like these. But no, we, we, we must look at verses like these. Do you know what Peter says? Enough. Enough. You've spent enough time doing what the pagans like to do. Um, and he holds up before us the reality that we all will stand before God the judge. And what we need to see here is that Jesus Christ's gospel really does change people's lives because the clear implication of these verses is that some of the people he's addressing uh, were actually, and had been involved with these things in verse 3, all this stuff mentioned. But now uh, they've, they've, they've heard and accepted the gospel. Peter says, enough. You've, you've spent sufficient time. You've spent enough time doing those things. Now, we're not living as Christians if we are abandoning ourselves to our sinful, selfish desires of drunkenness, sex outside marriage, gluttony, sexual abuse, or the worship and pursuit of anything in this world that is not God. Enough, says Peter. But the reason that he mentions it is actually as a sort of a form of encouragement to the Christians to keep pressing on. Now, it could be that maybe that was part of our backstory. That was, we, we were involved in, in good nights out, inverted commas, a good night out like that in the past before we became a Christian. But then we've become a Christian. And then, you know, the friends come around the door, the old friends come around the door and say, hey, we're going for a good night out. You're coming out? I say, I'm not, uh, no, I'm not coming out with you guys. I know what you're going to do tonight. And I, I'm a Christian now. I'm not going to do those things. Well, how are they going to react to that? Well, chances are it's going to begin with um, 
uh, a bit of, uh, of polite mockery. And as your determination to not engage in those things continues, uh, they will feel judged by that. And they'll start getting angry with you and abusive with you. And it takes great moral courage to actually say, look, I'm still not going with you to do those things. No, I'm different now. You'll never do that if you've not resolved before that point. You know that, don't you? You've got to resolve before you get to that point. And they'll heap abuse on you for not engaging in that. I recall um, many times in that student block in that first year where the guys in the block kept trying to embarrass me. They kept trying to pull me into their sin. They kept trying to do things. It wasn't enough that they were doing it. They wanted to pull me in there with them. And they mocked me in lots of really bizarre ways. Now, this is a form of suffering that Peter is honest about that actually might come our way as people who want to live holy lives for Christ. This might come your way. Well, know this, verse 5, these friends who mock you, may speaking uh, bad about you, verse 5, will one day have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Yes, you know, they may judge you as being a boring square person who's no fun anymore and mock you for it. But remember, they too will one day have to stand before the judge of the living and the dead. And they will have to give an account for all the sinful actions and choices that they have made. It is because of such sin that the judgment of God is certainly coming. And notice with me the scope of this judgment. It's universal, isn't it? God is the judge of the living and the dead. Not even death is a means of escaping the judgment of God. The Bible is clear. Death is not the end point of which I have no knowledge. There is a conscious life beyond death. And there is a point where we have to give an account of our lives before God. It is destined, man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. It says in Hebrews 9.27. We will all have to give an account. Christianity is not a private religion. You know, there's a view out there today that says something like this. Well, you know, you, if, it, if, if it's true for you, it's true for you. You believe it and that's good for you. But what you believe has no impact on me. Well, let me tell you, it doesn't matter what you think, whether you're an atheist or whatever you are, you will stand before God who is the judge of the living and the dead. There is a day appointed. It will be true of you regardless of what you think or don't think about God. You will stand before him. And those who mock and slander Christians for not doing what they do will find on that day that they've been blaspheming God. The Lord Jesus actually feels the pain and the suffering of his people. Saul discovered this on the road to Damascus, didn't he? As, As Christ said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me, Christ says, to punish uh, God's people. To punish Christians was to hurt Christ. What a thing to stand before him on that final day as unforgiven people. So as Christians, we should not fear the abuse of people, but be more aware of the day of judgment. Remember God's judgment. And thirdly, remember this is why the gospel was preached to you. Look at verse 6. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. For this is the reason that the gospel was preached. You see the logic? 
because God is the God who will judge the living and the dead. What will you say to God? Do you notice from the verse earlier that God is ready to judge? Um, all the evidence has been documented. The courtroom is prepared and ready. There's no problem about the evidence of the witnesses. Everything is ready to judge, it says, verse 5. What will we say when we stand before God? Nothing is hidden from his sight. Uh, no actions we do in private are private before God. He sees everything that we do. He knows the motivations of our heart. There are times when we've done the right thing, but for all the wrong reasons. We've done the right thing for nasty reasons. And actually, what looks right to others, God knows, is sin. He sees the motivations of our heart. And all sin and evil must be punished by a holy and loving God. He wouldn't be a loving God if he allowed uh, evil to continue unthwarted. And so we're all guilty as charged. So what will we do as we stand before the day for God on that day of judgment? Well, here's the beautiful logic of verse 6. For this is the reason the gospel was preached to you. My friends, if you've not heard this before, there's very good news. There's very good news that there is a way to be acquitted on that day of judgment. There is a way to hear the, the words, price is paid, acquitted, free, justified, right before me. And it is all about this good news about Jesus. There's hope for people who've given themselves over to enslaving and addictive sins. There's hope for people who have um, idolized and worshipped materialism and stuff. There's hope for people who once persecuted Christians like, like Paul himself. There's hope for those who've worshipped false religions, who've given themselves over to occult and magic. There's hope for proud atheists. There's hope for self-righteous religious people. There's hope for all who will humbly come to Christ and receive this good news about the Lord Jesus. Here's the good news about the Lord Jesus. Christ swapped places with us on the cross and saved us from hell to heaven. And all we need to do is to put our trust in him. To repent of our sins and to trust Christ. And the choice really today is whether we will reject that sacrifice and pay for our own sins on the day of judgment or whether we will humbly turn to Christ to rely on his ransom payment of his own death as the pardon for our sins. And when we do that, we will hear, we will know that as when that day of judgment comes, we will hear the, 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 the verdict not guilty, acquitted, enter into my everlasting kingdom. You can know that today. With absolute doubt, it doesn't matter what, what you've done up to this point, if you'll humbly come and repent and trust Christ. I think there are so many false gospels out there. There are, there are people you can listen to on uh, you know, satellite cable TV shows that will tell you the gospel is Jesus has come to fill your bank account with more money or uh, he's come to empty doctor's surgeries and you'll never have to feel ill again. And the truth is, if Jesus does not return in 50 or 60 years, most of us will be dead. Most of us. And I've got good news for you. 
there is a way that you can be right with God today. When the certainty of the day of your judgment is coming, you can know today what the outcome is going to be if you'll humbly repent and trust Christ. And not even death will diminish the power of the saving work of Christ. That's the point of this verse. When it says that the gospel is preached even to those who are now dead, this is not some post-mortem evangelism or conversion going on. It's people who have heard and received the gospel preaching in the past, but who are now dead at the point where Peter wrote it. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not a message of how we'll always be healed from our diseases, how we'll always receive financial benefit in this life. It is the good news that you will hear not guilty on the day of judgment if you trust him today. And that is wonderful news. And not even death will rob the certainty that you will stand on that day with a resurrection body just like Jesus fitted for all eternity. Today you can pass from living for this earthly age to the life of the spirit, the life of the resurrection age, the life of the life to come. Today you can make that decision to go from one era into the next. And so my Christian friends who are facing great temptations to conform, whether that's you as a student, a young person at high school, whether you're a business traveler uh, with friends who like to party hard, whatever your context today, if you're facing temptation, whether you're single and lonely or married and unhappy, it's worth it to follow Christ. It's worth it to live for the will of God, even if that means suffering rather than take the easy way out and go the way of sin. It is better to suffer rather than to sin, even if that means death. Resolve it in your mind and heart today. Resolve it now. Peter heard the Lord Jesus when he called out to the crowds, and uh, this is what Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. And take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. If you've not yet resolved to follow Christ, take up your cross and follow him. Do it today. Why don't you come and speak to me at the door? Someone you know here is a Christian. Resolve it. Let's pray.